Hi, this is Todd Levinson uh, with Civic Genius, and this is another episode in our series on how to have more successful, difficult conversations. Uh, today, I'm joined with Seth Henderson. He is the program manager at the Better Arguments Project. Uh, nice to have you with us, Seth. Thank you, Todd. Um, so we met through um, our shared desire to find a more constructive, productive way to navigate our political and social differences. And I'm curious, um, where where does that desire to tackle this issue come from for you? So, you know, with the Better Arguments Project, um, this was an initiative that was created, uh, you know, around the time of the 2016 presidential election. And obviously for many individuals today, we are seeing the increased narratives that really place general, like, like the way that we think about certain individuals in a, a micro way, and then we apply how we think they are in a generalized sense across an entire group of individuals. And that's only kind of been exacerbated and increased over the last few years. And, you know, I was very interested in this project, you know, four years ago when I joined, when this was also still something that was occurring during the the presidential election cycle of, you know, um, President Trump and, and, and Secretary Clinton at the time. So it's very important to be in this civic engagement space, bridge building space, um, because it does require a lot of work to get individuals to equip them with skills to engage productively across differences. And um, I think at the heart of why it's very important is we see every day in the news from protests to, you know, different ways to address challenges that um, unfortunately even our most, you know, esteemed um, and many elected leaders cannot even productively engage um, across party lines in some way. So if, you know, if certain political leaders are not able to do that, how can we work on ways to equip people with skills mm -hmm. to actually do this in their own communities on a very local level? And the Better Argument Project, the Better Arguments Project was birthed um, from, you know, the Aspen Institute, Citizenship American Identity Program, Facing History and Ourselves, and, and Allstate to come together and figure out how we can properly distill this Better Arguments Framework in a way that people can actually practice these habits and these three dimensions and five principles to engage more productively across differences. And so um, one of the things that I um, kind of know is part of the foundation of, of the project is the idea that we don't need less arguments, we just need better arguments, right? And, you know, for some people, there is an instinct that when political conversations surface, when conversations around social issues surface, um, to want to kind of turn away right, from those conversations, why, why is it important to have more arguments? Why, you know, why, why tackle these issues? Why should we have conversations about these topics? Absolutely. And our executive director, Eric Lou, I think he's the first one who said it at, a, at an Aspen Ideas Festival in the, past, in the past, but also in an article he had written in The Atlantic about, as you said, Todd, like we don't need less arguments, but Erica said we just need less stupid ones, but we do need more arguments in society. And, um, you know, with the, the increase in individuals where they, you know, oftentimes I've heard it growing up, and I'm sure many people have heard it as well, that you should not talk about politics and religion. And that's topics that should be like off the table when you're engaging in, in certain contexts. And I think that's 
potentially wise in some cases, especially if individuals like humanity and rights are not being respected, obviously, because there are certain circumstances where you really should not engage in a better argument. But it's important to engage in those difficult conversations as a way to, one, truly understand where other people are coming from in their beliefs. So in our work, it's important for us to spend a decent amount of time when we are convening individuals to address or talk about and engage in a better argument on a specific topic, that they actually take the time and we take the time to work with them so that people are humanizing each other first. And by humanizing, I'm saying they need to know more about the individual before they jump straight into an argument and begin to talk about what is their divisions. Because if they're able to actually hear firsthand from this other person who they have in their mind because of social media or news that has painted that person in their mind as the other side, and I'm going to apply things to them that I've just heard. But when I actually hear from them up close and learn more about it, it makes it makes the individual have a better understanding of where that person's coming from. And I, I heard it in a, um, another presentation, I forgot the name of the individual, but I think it's very true in it. The person said it's very difficult to hate another person up close. And it's very easy to do those things when we're distance and do it online or we're in like a crowd mob mentality. But it's very difficult to do that when you're in trying to engage someone very, very close face to face. So what does what does that look like? Humanizing. So you're you're about to have a conversation. So imagine that um, we have some listeners and viewers who they are experiencing family or friend relationships that have been strained or estranged, you know, because of political social differences, um, or maybe they just feel like they're walking on eggshells all the time, worried about contentious issues coming up. Um, or, or maybe there's someone at one of our events who, you know, they're where we do learn about and engage on issues, um, but it makes them nervous, the thought of, of doing so. What how should how should one approach that? How does one get that humanization up front um, and make a productive conversation with better arguments? Absolutely. So, I mean, first thing I'll say is it's definitely not easy. It's not a matter of just here's the better arguments framework. Here are the five principles. Just read these and then it's going to just happen naturally. It doesn't work that way. So. In our work that we did, um, this is before the pandemic happened, we hosted community events in Detroit, Denver, Anchorage, Alaska, New York, Dumas, Arkansas. And when we did our event in Detroit, which was our largest um, public event where we brought together 300 individuals and worked with a local nonprofit to really test the framework in, in this setting. And um, attention that was very palpable in the community was the tensions between longtime residents and newcomers coming to the city. And that tension really boiled down to a lot of a lot of tension about individuals who are primarily African-American who were born and raised in Detroit and um, individuals who are not of color coming to Detroit and thinking they can make Detroit a new a new canvas how they want. And th those tensions boiled up there. So when we hosted this event, uh, as I was saying a few minutes ago, we we took a lot of time where these 300 individuals, some of them knew each other, but many of them did not know each other. And we took time to really build into the programming, which it was like a four hour event. And the first, you know, a significant portion of the event in the beginning focused on individuals getting to know each other around their, their tables of eight. And how we did that was we, 
first wanted individuals to talk about each other and have them define community. So each person at the table was asked, like, what is your community? And we really liked that question. We workshopped it with, you know, Facing History and Ourselves, which also does a lot of um, this type of um, conversation design work as well. And by having individuals engage in what is their community, you are learning so many things about a person by having them respond to that question. And before you're jumping straight into what are the tensions in the community, and then that can go in various directions about inequalities, race relations, learn more about the person first before you're actually going to engage in, in the argument. And that's like a very simple step. And even as I just said that, that sounds very simple, but very often that does not happen. People jump straight into, we're here, let's talk about our differences and our challenges before we actually get to know each other. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Because when we hear those types of things from individuals, we're, we're now more informed about why they may believe things as they say them that disagree with us or challenge our identity and our own beliefs. And it's not be, and it's not to say that we're now going to feel like we can persuade them, but also in this bridge building work, it's a lot about understanding individuals. It's not about trying to persuade people to a certain side. So what are you, what are you trying to learn? Let's just take your question of what does community, you know, how do you define community or what does it mean to you? Um, what are you trying to learn about somebody that helps you to humanize them? Where should, where does that conversation go? What, what is being understood or, um, through that, through that process of having that conversation? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in some other work, um, and it's different um, organizations, I know um, the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley has done some work on, you know, the, the, the limitations of bridge building and um, other articles that I've read as well. And one of the things that I think comes up often is, you know, when we're trying to humanize and really understand where a person is coming from, very often the way a person, their beliefs about something comes from some type of trauma, something that is significant that has happened in that person's life. And that's something we really do not get when you just jump straight into an argument and regardless of the topic, and then you just now know, and you've painted this person because I know how they think, they think they know how I think, and therefore like we're kind of enemies now. But when you understand what has caused someone to really believe a certain way, um, if it was something that happened in their life uh, from a death in the family or some other extreme event, as I said before, it, it's not going to necessarily make you change your whole beliefs and values that brought you up in your life. But you're not going to see that individual in this very simplistic other mentality um, because you now know more about them beyond what you have now put onto them as your assumptions based on things that you have heard. So it sounds like there's a sense in which you want to understand how they came to value what they value or how they came to believe what they believe. And that there's something in their story, in that background narrative, what whatever those experiences, you know, key experiences in their life might have been that provide a way to, as you said previously, humanize them. Right. Um, and perhaps maybe relate to them or at least see them beyond whatever your, you know, initial group stereotype um, ideas of this person based on more superficial characteristics. 
where do you, so let's say we, that happens, right? Let's say we talk about how we define community or whatever that, that conversation, whatever that question might be. Um, where do you, where do you go from there in moving from humanizing one another, seeing what that background is, um, perhaps empathizing, connecting in some way with that background, or at least seeing a fuller picture of the, of the person you're talking to, to engaging on the issue? Absolutely. So or maybe you maybe our, you don't do that yet. Um, so if I'm if I'm incorrect in in saying that you should start engaging on the issue at that time, then uh, let me know what, what what is the next step. Yeah, absolutely. So I think also it's very important in the bridge building space, and it's been pointed out before as well. It's not going to happen overnight, and when you're wanting to engage different groups and think about ways that they can productively engage across differences. It's about kind of taking these small steps and actions over time to then reach like a broader goal together. And I think that's like a big part of why some of this work is very challenging is because it requires a lot of work to be intentional about doing this. And it's very easy to just, you know, kind of retreat to your own understanding and your own worldviews and then just say, that's the, uh, that's what other people think they're wrong. I'm right. Um, and it takes time. So, you know, when we, have hosted events. Um, we have thought about different ways moving forward when we do things. How do we not make things one-off? Because you do want to continue um, the narrative where individuals can engage across differences. And it's not that just they came here for a few hours and then, okay, great, now what's next? Um, so in our work with the Better Arguments Project, we also have taken the steps to develop ways where we can actually really break down our framework. So the three dimensions, which focus on history, emotion, and power, and the five principles, which the first is take winning off the table, prioritize relationships and listen passionately, pay attention to context, embrace vulnerability and make room to transform. Those are very high level. We give you know guidance about what those mean in the context of having a better argument, but it takes more time for a person to like cognitively process how to apply those. And we've created methods and continue to create a library of resources where people can really dive through those on an individual level in, in groups and also in pairs so that they can further internalize those, those habits and of the principles. Because as I said, um, like the what's next is it takes time to practice them in your life. And I think there are, um, you know, small ways, medium ways, big ways. Like if you wanted to go all the way to host an event in your community, to interacting with, you know, a, a family member, which you talked about um, a few minutes ago, Todd, about how do you engage in and family members of differences as well. But um, I may share a little bit later, but there's definitely ways where I have tried to practice these um, in my life and they, they do work. And I had some very meaningful interactions with people that um, I'll never forget because of it. Yeah. So, so that's great. So why don't we go, why don't we go there? Um, First, I want to pull out something that you said, which is at some point you said something about a common a common goal. Um, mm -hmm. And so is it important to define why we're why we're having these conversations? Like, what are we trying to achieve through them and why is that important and how do we go about doing that? Yeah. So when we hosted like our event in Detroit, as I said, it was a tension between longtime residents and newcomers. So I think one of the kind of overarching goals in that conversation was about um, what more can be done to just 
make more people aware of like respecting the history of Detroit and the people who have lived there a long time without individuals coming in and kind of not taking into account the individuals who have, you know, put blood, sweat and tears to, to build the culture of Detroit. And this can be said of, of any place really. So um, I think when you're wanting to engage in like these conversations with groups across differences, the collective goal is important because it obviously serves as a North star and a collective goal of like why we're trying to do this and also helps with developing additional steps to maintain what needs to be done to reach that collective goal. So when we hosted this event towards the end of it, we had individuals fill out these like kind of commitment cards. So um, individuals like wrote very like simple sentences. Like I came into this event thinking, um, so now I will blank. And, you know, some of the, the things that we read from that event were there were individuals who um, talked about how they wanted to be more intentional about shopping at small businesses owned by, um, you know, people of color in Detroit and wanting to be more intentional about learning the history of Detroit. Like there are these ways. And of course, those those commitments will vary by each person. Um, but those are like small steps, I think, that can reach towards a collective goal. And so you said you've had some experiences that were meaningful to you. What what's what's an example of putting this into practice that helped you to transition from you know whatever you thought of this person of the person you were talking to to humanization and productive conversation. And and if you if you could while while you share about your experience what were the key kind of moments of transition, right? The key moments where it was moving in one direction, maybe there were tensions or difficulties, um, and then it moved in a different direction where it was more productive, there was more kind of mutual understanding um, or whatever the effects of the conversation were uh, kind of moved in a, in a more productive direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll try to be brief with these, but it's kind of two stories and I'll share yep. one faster and then go more in depth in the second one. So uh, I'm originally from Kentucky, which is leaning more in a conservative um, state over the last several years as well. And, you know, um, when I grew up here, like my political views are more, I think, moderate. And, um, you know, in the in the, the space of like Kentucky, it tends to, to be a lot of individuals, as I said, that tend to be more conservative. And um, before I talk about the story, I think it's very important to also note that when we are engaging, when we're talking about how people tend to generalize, I don't think the extremes on any side represent the, the majority of a population. And I think that's really a disservice when we begin to engage individuals and we treat everyone as if they represent the, the most extreme voices of certain groups. So um, like growing up in Kentucky, there was this individual and he had, you know, political views that were far, far different from my own. And uh, he, um, you know, ran a, a, a mechanic shop in, in my hometown. And I knew him through different kind of interactions with different groups in my community and stuff. So this individual, we would consistently joke and, you know, we injected humor, I think, into our disagreements, which is also something where many people may not be able to to take things as, as lightly as I think they, they could, but like we were able to have an interaction with one another where we clearly knew that we opposed our, we had opposing views, but 
but we respected each other as individuals and it actually built our relationship to have conversations where we clearly didn't agree, but we respected each other. And, um, that's just like one example. Uh, and then another what do you, what do you example think got you to that place. So did you just, was that, were there any difficult parts of, of those conversations? Did, did, did this other person ever share anything that, I don't know, made you feel a certain way inside that, you know, uh, ruffled your feathers in some way? Um, or did you just feel natural, naturally able to, you know, inject humor and see the bigger picture and realize this was another human being across from you? Um, and if there were any challenges, wh again, what what enabled you to to go from an initial reaction, perhaps, to more productive conversation? What did that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew this individual from college years and um, other, as, as I said, like other community events. So, um, you know, as we were like continually building our friendship, he actually was the first person who gave me um, a car when I was in college. And at the time I could not afford a vehicle. And this person um, in my community offered to do this uh, and continually to like help me in provide guidance and friendship over time as well. So, but I think there are obviously moments where there are things that come up that obviously ruffle feathers and, you know, but it was always done in a, a light hearted way. Um, it wasn't any like malicious uh, intent um, about it. Um, and I think like for me, it was, for me, that relationship meant a lot because it was a demonstration of this is someone who, clearly has the views that oppose my own and I'm able to have a conversation with them where we respect one another. Mm -hmm. And I really think if you talk to anyone, like for the most part, when you ask someone, you know, name three people in your life that have very opposing views to your own. And how do you, do you have productive conversations with them? I think if that type of survey was done, it would result in a very low number of people who could say, I know three people in my life who have opposing views that are very different from my own and we can actually talk productively. A lot of people have pushed away and I think are, it's very difficult for a lot of people to do that. So it sounds like, uh, it, it sounds like you had ways of connecting with this person outside of the context of having political conversations. Um, and, and also it sounds like he actually showed you know, care towards you, if you know, and, and so I guess, I guess, how much do you think that mattered the idea that you actually knew, kind of the heart of this person in some way, um, and their positive intentions, and um, you had a more well rounded view, because you interacted in these other non political ways, um, where you, you know, to, to your point previously, human could could humanize him just through the way you engaged over time. Yeah, without a doubt. And as I said, like it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Like this was an individual that I had to develop my interactions with over time. And that just changed the the dynamics of, of the relationship. And I think one, it's also like that showing the level of care that you just mentioned goes a long way. And it's part of also the humanizing process. Like you, you show a care in different ways for this person beyond just the views that you believe they hold. And one, I don't think anyone should ever treat someone based on how they think they should be treated because of the, the political views they hold. 
And unfortunately, I think many people today, when they have any notion or something that reinforces what they have already thought about the person, that person either is an ally or an enemy immediately in someone's mind. And then that's how they begin to, to engage with them. Um, unfortunately. So, um, so you were going to share a second story. What, what, what was that? What happened? Yeah. So, um, this was a few years ago and I was on a flight back to DC and Washington DC and was, as we were heading back there, um, I was on this flight and I was surrounded by this, this group of students and I won't share any of their names or anything, but uh, this was like one of my favorite interactions that I like to tell in these type of settings that, you know, we're participating in right now. And, um, they were also, I, I can't remember where I was flying from, but it, we were all going to DC. And this was a group of students who were going to participate in like, um, like a March for Life um, protest um, near the Supreme Court in the Capitol. And they all had clothing on that clearly demonstrated what they were intentional about doing. So that also helped comfort, like create the, the conversation story that I'm about to share. So when I was on the plane, I sat, I was in the aisle seat and these these young, younger people were, you know, they were on my side, they were behind me, some in front, and then on the other side as well. So um, I just struck up a conversation and asked them, I was like, you know, what are you all coming to DC for? And I just wanted to, to get to know them. And I'm not, I feel like I'm not like one of those annoying people who always wants to like talk to the person next to them um, on the plane. So I, I kept it like very light um, and didn't want to like be you know, bothering them the entire flight, but it was a very organic conversation. And I was truly trying to practice what we try to, you know, equip people to engage across differences. Um, and, you know, these students, I was like, you know, I, I don't know their political leanings, but I kind of have an idea. And I just go back to the assumptions of why I, I felt like why they were going there with their, their marching and protesting and things. So um, they, I spoke with them and then we talked about some of my political views. I learned more about their political views and this whole like 90 minute flight um, was honestly, it was like a 90 minute better argument. And we spoke here, students that I engaged with on my right, there were students on the left. And as we were doing it, there was this man who was in front of us who had no idea who any of us were. And he was an attorney and he then turned around and began to engage with all of us. And we had this argument, like a very productive argument about, you know, um, you know, abortion issues and all kinds of different topics that were coming up in the, in the conversation. So, but to me, that was the very um, important story in like my own personal and professional growth. And it wasn't just because we did that on that flight. It's because of also what came after. And you know, what came after was I continued to engage with these, these, this group of young students. So they were going to be in DC for a time. And before we all left, we, we were like, this was good, good to meet each other. And we kept in touch. And like a few days later, um, they invited me to go out to dinner with them. So I went, then went out to dinner with this like group of eight or so students. And we just like broke bread together. It wasn't about talking about, you know, anything that they did with their protest, what their political views were, what my political views are. We just got to know each other, like where they go to school, with their families, what they want to do in their careers. And we got to know each other on a deeper level. And, you know, um, one of them I ended up keeping in very close contact with. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, I won't go into more details about those those um, specifics, but like that was a an engagement where I was able to apply that in my personal life, and I think many people can take that step, but it does require courage and also being able to understand that if you're trying to engage individuals who are going to think differently than you, do not do not enter it with the goal of trying to defeat the other person, which is our first principle in our work is take winning off the table. Do not try to engage another person simply to defeat them or diminish their their views of the world as you would expect someone not to do that to you and respect you the same way. So if you're not, if you're, if you're taking winning off the table, um, what, what are you doing instead? What's, what's the goal if it's not to win, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm presuming that, you know, the the approach of trying to win to try to convince another person um, doesn't really create the space for them to want to engage because who wants to lose, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or who wants to feel like there's some some motive of making making you different than who you think you are, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that that makes sense to me. What are what are we trying to do instead if we're taking winning off the table? Very simply. It's the humanized pieces I said, Mm -hmm. but also really just trying to understand individuals where they come from. So there is interesting data that talks about how if an individual takes time, like right now, we won't do it obviously during this, this conversation, but if you take time to imagine what it would be like to have a positive conversation Mm -hmm. with someone in your mind that you have already deemed as like your enemy, Mm -hmm. There's data that shows that you will likely have a more positive interaction when you encounter that person because you have taken time to one, imagine what it would be like to have a positive conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. And I say it's more about understanding and the humanizing because um, there's something else called protection, um, identity protective cognition thesis which suggests that individuals when they feel their identity is threatened, which identity means various things to every individual, when they feel their, an individual feels their identity is threatened, they begin to take cognitive shortcuts to do everything possible to protect their identity. And that can also mean logic. Um, Certain things kind of go out the window. And I think by not wanting to win and that being the sole focus when you are engaging with someone who is going to think differently than you. And they're not going to be reinforcing your own worldviews from what you hear in your family, where you were, where you grew up, what you see on social media, what you read from your news outlet of your choice. You now have a, you now have a painted picture of an actual interaction with someone who is different from you. Mm-hmm. And you will, without a doubt, encounter more of those people in the future. And the hope is that you would have more productive engagement with those people because um, I think, unfortunately, um, yeah, as I said, you know, humans will really simplify things to justify their own worldviews, unfortunately. And last thing I'll just say is, you know, there are, um, I think it's important in my, my first job out of college was working on political campaigns and knocking on doors and making thousands of phone calls, knocking on hundreds of doors and whoever you are, whatever your identity is made up of, if you are representing a group. How you interact with people that you may be the very first person that person has actually interacted with. That is part of that group that they have never interacted with before. Do not make that interaction 
in a way where that person is now going to say you are how I'm going to apply what I think of you to the entire group mm -hmm. that you are trying to represent. Mm -hmm. So if I could put a couple pieces that we have uh, so far together, um, there's a sense in which we want to have a, a positive goal for an interaction. And by imagining that, by imagining that positive interaction, um, we can kind of put ourselves in a, in a place where we will produce that productive conversation. And that maybe the motivation can even be beyond just having that positive conversation where um, we, we actually take on the responsibility of how we're portraying whatever identity groups we might reflect, right? Um, that when we have interactions with people who are different from us, they're gonna use their experience um, with us to inform how they think about our group more generally. And so not only can we think in an inter interpersonal way in terms of being motivated for a, a positive conversation and you know, with your story um, of the flight to DC, it sounds like if, I, if I'm correct, that part of what made that a powerful experience Part of it was that you could have a productive conversation with a, a diverse, an ideological diverse set of people um, on a on a diverse set of, you know, potentially contentious issues. Uh, it sounded like also what made it a meaningful experience was the fact that you could do that and then it could lead to real personal relationships, right? Uh, that it wasn't just this one-off conversation um, that was civil, um, but that we could expand the kind of relationships um, and the depth of the relationships that we have if we approach having these conversations in a productive way. So, so we could have those inter interpersonal motivations, the, the desire to have great interactions, strong relationships, and we can also have the motivation of representing who we represent in a positive, productive way. And that by imagining the conversation by taking those positive motivations and imagining the kind of conversation you want, it could put you in the right space. Second, it sounds like a first step is to humanize and that humanize has to do with understanding one's background, kind of the, their own narrative of how they got to believe what they believe, value what they value um, so that you can understand this person's person in the context of their story and, and stories often humanize. Um, and then, and then the piece, the other piece that we have is when you start to engage in the conversation around the issue itself, we want to take winning off the table. We want to take convincing off the table and we want to focus more on understanding. Um, what do we want to understand? What, what are we trying to understand when we engage, take winning off the table and we engage in this way? Where do we go with that? What are we, what are we looking to to draw out from from this other person yeah um and think that was a, a really that was a really on point kind of summary of uh, what we've talked about so far and i think um before i answer that question it made me think about when i was engaging with those students who clearly had different you know views on on different issues as i did um i entered that interaction assuming also that they did not have any ill intent towards me as i had no ill intent towards them mm -hmm. I think that's also another very important piece that is often um, missed. It's people get very defensive very easily. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their views, like we were on a plane, like my life was not threatened. I didn't feel like they had any ill intent towards me. And I didn't want to assume that they had that as well, because the moment you begin to put assumptions, 
you are already trying to navigate it in a way that reinforces your own worldviews mm -hmm. when you begin to insert assumptions into it. So I just wanted to first say that. Um, so it sounds like then, so it sounds like before you get into kind of what you want to understand, it sounds like in the humanization process of understanding their background and or maybe even one of the things you want to try to understand is getting to the place of knowing what their intentions are, right? Um, of maybe getting a sense of their motivations so that you can yeah. under, better understand those positive, positive intentions. So yeah, so there's, there's like assuming, you know, going into the interaction, assuming that someone is coming from a positive place. Um, mm -hmm. And then it, it would seem like that would be reinforced by actually coming to understand what this person's intentions are behind their, their values, their beliefs, engaging in the conversation. Um, does that, does that usually come out in these conversations? Does that help the process to, to be more productive? What's your experience been there and, and how do you get there? Yeah, 100%. I think, um, going back to like understanding, I know I talked about how it's important to, you know, when you're engaging, you're wanting to understand what motivates that person and obviously like a backstory beyond what their beliefs are on a topic. Mm -hmm. But I think in understanding, it's also very important for the person who is also taking the step to try and be more courageous. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying like what I did was overly courageous, but I was the one who took the step to talk with these students um, and initiate the conversation. So I think it's very important in understanding as well what you as an individual, how you can continue to practice that in your life. Mm. So by taking the first step to like engage with these students, I now have a better understanding um, that when I try to do, the, do this again, the next conversation might even be more productive than this one. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to also what I was saying, like that removing that the, any group has ill intent towards me in a conversation can really move it um, in a productive way. Yeah. And what was the follow-up? Yeah, so it's, it's um, well, one thing I'll say that I, that I like about that is you are, you, you, you know, in taking winning off the table, you're in some sense also saying, make sure you come with the right intentions, right? Make sure you come with intentions that they can trust and open up to. Um, so assume their positive intentions and also check your own positive intentions and make sure you're in a place that is going to welcome the conversation from them. The, the follow-up question is what are you, what are you trying to understand when you start to go into that neck, that, that stage of, 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 of understanding where they're coming from on, on an issue. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, there's a plethora of issues where people have opinions on certain topics. And of course that one story that I just shared focused on, you know, a couple of different issues that we talked about in our, in our plane ride. Um, I think it's, it's more understanding beyond what a person is hearing from, you know, news pundits or friends or what they hear on and see on social media. Uh, I'm going back to how important it is to truly have individuals in your life who have opposing views from you. Because as I said, it's very easy for us to hear things about, a, uh, you know, hear something or read something about a group. And then we generalize that to um, an entire group of individuals but it's, it's very different to know people in your life who really do believe certain things that are different from your own. And you can actually have a conversation with them to actually inform your understanding of why people that may believe 
those certain things based on you having an actual conversation with someone as opposed to I just heard this from this news pundit or I read this on social media. Um, and yeah, it's like a, it's complicated. You know, there are a lot of people who engage um, in circles that just reinforce their own worldviews. I mean, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Um, you know, you interact with people who you think you will want to get along with. Um, but I think we also see how dangerous that can be in a country of, you know, 330 million individuals who, you know, when you go from state to state, um, it's not like you're going from state to state. It's almost like you're going to a different world, depending on the interactions that people will, you know, yeah, just the way people believe certain things that are different. Um, and I think a lot of that really boils down to, um, one, it's the rise of social media and how people engage. They've really truly began to generalize things based on stuff. And then it's a whole other conversation about misinformation and disinformation. Um, but there's just not many more, I think, ways for people to connect um, in spaces where they can adhere to like the five principles, which is what we try to do in our events. And of course, we can't host every event in every city and encourage people to do these types of things. Um, but they are entering events that we have hosted where everyone is adhering to the five principles, um, which is one, that's a big step, but also understanding that not everyone who engages or tries to engage across differences is going to be able to say, are you going to respect these five principles? If not, then let's not talk. And we don't want to do that. We want to really equip people to begin to practice in their lives as habits in hopes that also other people can do the same. So. So to you mentioned you you referenced again the um the the flight to DC. Um, I think you had shared that you talked about abortion um, and maybe there was another topic there. What is something you learned from someone who thinks differently from you on the issue of abortion during that conversation that was enlightening to you, and and how did it help you in understanding them and 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 being able to connect? more deeply um, with them? What's something, what's something that you learned um, to, to, to give, give folks a, a better sense of what we're, what we're trying to understand here and how it can make a difference? Yeah. So in that conversation with this individual, um, they expressed how they currently worked in hospitals and they were, this person was a nurse and um, in their free time, would volunteer at uh, an orphanage in their community and other things to like help, you know, children who don't have parents and things like that. And for me, that was the first time that I had really had a conversation with someone who brought that type of lens to the abortion debate um, beyond it's a religious belief that I believe is just horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And, um, while this person had their own religious leanings and felt that, you know, no life should be taken, um, their, their perspective was more about, you know, there are alternatives than just going that route and aborting a child. Mm. Um, and that child still deserves to be loved and brought into this world. Um, and for me, like that was very enlightening to really just have a better understanding of, um, for me, that was, I had not really thought about it from that perspective in a way of, you know, um, 
a child can be brought into this world and there are plenty of people who would love that child. Mm. And that was like the argument from this individual. And of course, you know, we can go into the conversation about, well, what if, what if this, what if that, should the government, you know, tell a woman if she can produce a child and all that? Like we could of course go into all that, but I'm like speaking specifically to this individual's motivations as to it was more about um, her experience in working with children who do not have parents Mm -hmm. and that child coming into the world deserves love and parent just like anybody else. Yeah. So there, so you, there was some, again, some backstory, some way in which you could understand a broader perspective that because of the work that she does, she could bring into your world and give you a, 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 a bigger picture of, um, how one might see or view the issue of, of abortion and and just knowing her own experience and where those intent her intentions come from comes from helps you to 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 maybe empathize or or at least gain a greater understanding of her um and not yeah. not pigeonhole her in a certain way not superficially stereotype or judge her um yeah and if i had just based my assumptions on the clothing that I saw them wear in preparation for this protest, yeah. I would have never learned that from this individual. Yeah, And I think many people don't take that step to do the hard work of trying to learn more Yeah, because it's easier to just generalize. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could imagine, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation to, to maybe be in a place where you, you don't agree on the, on the, the stance on an issue, but then you truly can appreciate the motivation of the person, right? There's a little bit of sometimes can be a, a conflict there. Um, and so I guess, can you share a little bit about how you navigate that or how one should navigate that? Um, so you, you came to understand this person based on her experience. It sounds like you appreciated her motivation. Um, um, and yet, you know, she has a, a view different from yours on, a, on an important issue how does understanding the motivation help you to still connect even though there is this difference in position on an important issue um say that a little little different i don't want to make sure i answer it well yeah what i can imagine what i can imagine some people have um asking in their mind when they hear you share your stories and and some of the approach is, but what if I think that the position that someone has in some ways is harmful to people like me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think we carry around a lot feelings about certain issues that are contentious, um, that they're, that they're harmful, that they have certain negative impacts. Right. And, you know, how can I engage with someone on an issue where I feel like their stance is in some way negatively impacting me? Um, but yet then um, through this approach to conversation, I'm going to come to appreciate their motivations while still feeling like the stance on the issue has a negative impact on people like me. Um, how do you navigate? How, what would you say to someone who says, this is all great. It's great to connect. It's great to understand. And at the same time, there are, there are positions that can do harm 
And that's how I feel about this issue. So it's, it's hard for me to really, um, you know, stomach a position like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's 100% a valid response. So in presentations that we give about the better arguments framework and, you know, some of the, the webinars and trainings that we host, you know, every other month or so, we talk about two things. And the first is in this space of engaging people, of equipping people with skills to engage across differences, one, it is not for everyone. In the bridge building space, not every argument or topic um, lends itself well to a better argument. And second, to engage in a better argument, there has to be one, a clear understanding of respecting um, all sides of an issue, um, the humanity of other individuals. So as you said, like there are things that are very harmful and there are certain arguments that are very harmful and um, could actually impact someone's livelihood based on their belief. And that's a very valid point. Um, and sometimes those are not, you know, appropriate conversations to engage, especially if the, the person holds, you know, views that, um, yeah, they they challenge or could potentially do something in their beliefs that are harmful to a certain group. And um, something else we talk about is embracing vulnerability, which embracing vulnerability is one of the principles as well. And that is one that we really try to, to be diligent about making sure that individuals know that you should embrace vulnerability if you have something to gain or grow from it. Uh, you should not embrace vulnerability just for the sake of, you know, engaging in a conversation. But it is very important to do so in modeling that behavior in hopes that other people do it as well. Because as I was talking about earlier with identity, um, the identity thesis that I mentioned, it's very easy for people to enter conversations, arguments where there is a shield and the engagement is not actually productive across differences because no one has taken the first step to lower their, their armor mm-hmm. so that there can begin to be a, a preview of what that person is being motivated by in hopes that the, the exchange is more mutual as opposed to just one person kind of modeling this, this behavior. Um, and yeah, we've heard it in different, you know, events and things before, like it, it is very difficult to engage um, with individuals, especially if they hold views um, that could potentially be harmful, um, even if it's through the passage of certain legislation, as I said, we're going back to the livelihood. So there's no real clear answer that I can give yeah. on that one. It's a very, that's a very messy. Yeah. It sounds theory. like though, that there's just some way in which we just, uh, I don't know if it's right to say separate the individual from the position, but at the, but at the very least not define the person by the, by just the position that they're taking. And you had said earlier that it's important to get a sense of someone's intentions. Um, And so if you know that they have positive intentions, even if you feel like their position also leads to certain negative impacts, certain harmful impacts, um, knowing that they're, that's not what they're trying to do, right? They have this other positive motivation and that's really where they're coming from. Seems like you can better able, be better able to separate the position and what you might you know, assume about the person based on their position from the person themselves and what their motivation truly is. Um, you me- you've mentioned taking winning off the table. You mentioned now embracing vulnerability. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What are we, what are we trying to be vulnerable about, and why is that important 
to having conversations that are supportive of better arguments. Mm -hmm. So, um, in when we talk about you know vulnerability in our work, uh, we often talk about a person should create productive boundaries. So when you are engaging in a conversation or an argument that um, could potentially cause trauma or kind of bring things up in you that you would prefer not uh, come up, um, it's important for every individual when they're entering into a space to know like what are their non-negotiables. Um, and one of those non-negotiables for some, and rightfully so, it should be that the argument should respect the humanity of all individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and that may be like, oh, that's a granted, but there are many arguments where you could say that that's actually not the case for a lot of arguments. Um, it is not going to respect the individual um, because there's another motive. So in creating those productive boundaries, we're encouraging people to one, enter knowing where they need to pull back if it's going in a certain direction that's not good for them mentally, spiritually, and how they're processing some type of engagement with another person. Um, and those productive boundaries can be a two-way street. Those can be things that, um, you know, individuals, if we're just thinking about in the context of two individuals engaging or in a group, uh, something that we also have done in our events is, you know, the five principles that I mentioned, like those are great kind of community norms as well. When people are engaging in a conversation, and we have also invited people to add on to those because every context is different. And one of the other principles is paying attention to context. So, you know, depending on the group or the location, those five principles are great, but there may be a few other principles that would be really good for that specific context. And that would be helpful for participants in a group who are about to engage in an argument to know what those are so that they can, you know, respect those and also have more buy-in collectively about we're going to engage in something that's difficult, but we're, we have agreed that we're going to adhere to these as a group. And so you have productive boundaries. Um, and yet you're also asking to embrace vulnerability. So let's say you have your productive boundaries. Um, and that enables you to feel open to, to embracing vulnerability. What are you, what are you striving to be vulnerable about? Well, how does vulnerability add to the, to the power, to the effect, to the impact of, of a better argument conversation? What does that look like to, to be vulnerable um, in, a, in a conversation about political, social issues? Yeah. Um, so I think when we hear vulnerability, the, the word in and of itself, I think, invokes a sense of being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. which that in and of itself is very understandable. Um, but at the same time, I truly believe that individuals grow the most mentally when they are uncomfortable. And I think there's also a lot of arguments that would support that as well, that people need to be uncomfortable in order to just grow and expand how they, they view things in the world. So um, in getting people to be vulnerable, one, it is a step of a person to model something that um, I would argue many people don't really model. And when they're engaging in difficult conversations, the, the protection of one's identity comes first, not vulnerability. So when we are trying to equip people with skills to engage um, vulnerability, we're not telling them you need to abandon your beliefs or anything that you have been you know, taught your entire life just for the sake of being vulnerable to another person. But you need to 
to also not enter an argument with the sole purpose of trying to protect your identity. And in order to actually embrace vulnerability, you need to challenge your identity some. And getting to the truth on a topic um, does require, you know, moments of being uncomfortable. And, and that's okay as long as like one's productive, productive boundaries that they have established um, have been set so that they are not going in a direction that um, could physically do harm. Because as I said before, you know, in us trying to understand what motivates people's beliefs, um, for many individuals, I've seen it in this work, you know, we can say, I know this person and I have these assumptions about them, but th that person has those beliefs often because it's rooted in some type of trauma. And that trauma cannot be diminished um, just because of someone else who disagrees with their, their views. So what I'm hearing from that last um, part of your statement is that vulnerability is a, a, um, surrounds sharing the background story of how you came to your values and beliefs, even if it might be something you know, deeply personal, that is what allows someone to understand where you've come from in, in developing these beliefs um, and, and allows you to better appreciate them, humanize them, the things that we've talked about. What, when have you seen this? Can you share a moment or two where you've seen this um, enhance support, positive conversations? What's an example of someone embracing vulnerability that really mattered for a conversation in taking it in a, in a positive, meaningful, uh, productive direction. Yeah, um, absolutely. So this, um, we have a better arguments ambassador program, which, um, you know, equips a group of 10 leaders who come from various backgrounds to then go through this nine week program where we go through the better arguments framework and then they will be implementing a capstone project in their community that embodies the Better Arguments Framework. And um, his name is Sean Cavanaugh, and I, I share his name because he's going to be in our new our new cohort of ambassadors coming up um, this spring. And when he applied to the application process, um, he also shared a story with us um, that was featured uh, in a local paper in his community. I think he's in um, New Hampshire. And he's now going to be doing this thing in his community where he's gonna partner with the local paper to have this series of like productive, like conversations in his community. And it's still like very preliminary, but the article itself talks about, he wrote an article, he wrote this piece himself about how he went to, uh, I think it was the capital there in New Hampshire, and he wanted to strike up a conversation with these individuals who were um, protesting on the Capitol. And um, he went really in depth about how he knew that these people probably had opposing views to his own. Like he didn't know anything about how potentially hostile these individuals were. Um, there were weapons involved. People brought them there to the Capitol in this protest as well. And he approached this person and he wrote this article about his exchange with this individual. And, you know, he was talking about how nervous he was approaching this person who, you know, who really proudly brandished a weapon um, at this protest as well. But then he talked about how they had a productive conversation and exchange there um, about how they were talking about topics. And he, 
he asked him like very simply, like simple questions about, you know, why did he come to this rally? Like, what was his motivations? They then exchanged those types of interactions. Um, but like Sean was being very brave in doing that, much more brave than myself, you know, speaking to um, some students on an airplane. But like that's that's a step of, of courage to do that. And he did not enter thinking this person had ill intent. And it was a productive conversation. But like when you imagine the context of like, I'm a person who's going to walk up to a protest that's happening at a state capitol. And there are individuals there with weapons and they're talking about rights and, and this and that. Um, it's very understandable that someone might think that might not be the best place to have a productive conversation. But he was able to do this with this individual. And I'm not saying like his mind was completely changed or, or that person, obviously, Sean knows this was his interaction. But like as someone who is reading that, um, I can only hope that that individual... Um, in both ways, the person who he spoke with now has potentially even a, a better understanding or view of like, I think it's important to also engage productively um, in these conversations as well. And um, one thing I just want to inject in this topic about like, because we've also talked about the importance of engaging across differences because of the increase in protest and things that have happened over the last few years and having a very divisive presidential election. And um, I think it's very important to engage across differences and create the space for those types of things to occur, whether they're through community events, um, is because I do truly believe to a large degree, many people who engage in protest, as I said, many things are rooted in trauma. And um, it is a desire to be heard. And there is a lot of, um, there's interesting data about individuals that use social media because they, it gives them a voice. Mm. And I think for many people, they feel the frustration when they want to express things and they are not, they are not heard. Um, you know, and we often tell people when you are engaging with someone, listen to understand, not to reply. And too often people do the exact opposite. Yeah. So, so we want to give, create a context by taking winning off the table, by um, instead seeking to understand and humanize, we are providing a context where we can have a voice, but also where they can have a voice. Um, and so embracing vulnerability sounds like we're being willing to have the conversations and with people who where we might feel uncomfortable, um, where it might be difficult to engage in that conversation. And that, that itself is an act of vulnerability. It, it sounds like, um, now you, you mentioned a third one, which is, um, understand the context. Is that right? Um, yeah, paying attention, paying attention to, the to the context. What do you want to know about the context? What are, what are we trying to know? So let's just take an example. Um, there's a lot of debate right now over school curriculum what should be taught, what shouldn't be taught. Um, lots of contentious, you know, um, um, scenes at, at school board meetings. Let's say you or someone, one of our listeners was sitting down with someone who felt differently about this issue of what should be taught. Um, so they could be on the side of, I don't want my son or daughter to be taught to, um, 
you know, about all of this racial equity stuff, because I don't think that should be forced upon them. Um, it shouldn't be forced upon them to feel a certain way. Or maybe you're talking to someone on the other side who might say we um, need to learn about the history of our country. And, you know, part of, you know, talking about our kind of history of races is better understanding kind of where we've come from and why we might be where we are right now on the issue of race. So someone, one of our listeners is talking to someone who is on one or the other side from them on this, on this issue. What am I, I take winning off the table. They take winning off the table, right? They try, they're trying to understand where these beliefs came from um, to humanize them. They're trying to understand better um, the background of this view. They're embracing vulnerability by knowing this is an uncomfortable conversation, and but they're willing to have it. And so you're talking about paying attention to context. What am I trying to understand about context or what is our viewer trying to understand about context and how do they get there? How do they, what are the questions they ask? What are they, what are they trying to know about this person and their beliefs that has them understand context? Yeah. So in paying attention to context, we often tie that also back to the three dimensions. So the three dimensions of arguing better and the five principles of a better argument. The three dimensions focus on understanding historical context. So in an argument, what are the historical factors that would inform the current context? Mm -hmm. The second is emotional intelligence. So how could the various emotions and, and beliefs on the sides of the issue inform the, the argument that's in the moment? Um, and then the third is recognizing the power dynamics related to this argument. How does that context also influence this argument as well? Um, so that's like three big ones. And I would say specific to like your comment about, you know, school curriculum and critical race theory. Um, I've seen it more and more that I, we really need to do more about making sure individuals when they're engaging, especially in a more controlled environment where people come together, it's like everyone needs to have base level knowledge of the topic. Um, and you would think that would go, that should be without saying, but unfortunately it's not because I said many people often rely on simplified versions and narratives of the other, as opposed to doing the work to actually figure out what is being, what is at the heart of the argument. And that makes me think about, you know, I remember seeing this clip of um, this journalist who was interviewing this, this older gentleman um, who was protesting critical race theory and the journalist asked him, asked this, this gentleman, um, what, what is critical race theory? And he responded, he said, I do not know, but I don't like it. Mm -hmm. That's all I said. And to me, that just demonstrates you, you did not even, you don't even put in the work to understand what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, critical race theory didn't just emerge like two years ago. It's something that's been in literature and written about for decades. And now people are aware of it because they didn't actually take the time to try and understand the context of why it's being brought up now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important also in what we're trying to get people to understand is also having like a base level knowledge of what is currently informing the argument so that individuals are not relying on simplified versions of mm -hmm. its understanding. And that would presumably be some of the context. So this person, let's say, who didn't know what it was, but knew that he didn't like it. So on the emotion side, the, the, you know, it, it might be good to understand from this person, what is it that he doesn't like? 
even if he doesn't know it, what does he not like? What are the emotions behind it? And where do those emotions come from? Um, to, to get a better sense of what the context is for this person, what they might have heard, right? Um, mm -hmm. With regard to history and power, can you tell me a little bit more, how do you get at what the history is or the power dynamics? What What is the way in which that influences the conversation or how do how does it get surfaced in the conversation? What, is, what does that look like for our, for our viewers? Yeah, so I guess I'll speak to it in the context of having like smaller conversations yeah. where we engage in arguments and also events which are larger. And, you know, in one of the smaller events we hosted, it was in Anchorage, Alaska, and we talked about the human dynamics of climate change. And we did this event and partner with the Alaska Humanities Forum there as well. And something that was fascinating to me that came up and was very... Like, it's just a very clear example of paying attention to context. So, you know, there are a lot of Alaska natives um, in Anchorage and obviously all over Alaska, and they preferred Alaska natives as opposed to Native Americans. And that was, you know, we, we were told that by some trusted partners there. And um, when we convened some groups, there were some Alaska natives that we brought together and we wanted to kind of have their views also inform how we apply our context, how we apply our framework to various contexts. And one of the, the elders um, of the Alaska Natives in, in this group talked about how in their context of, you know, we've all been in rooms where we sit around chairs in 20 or 10 and we all say like, my name is so-and-so, I, I work at X, Y, and Z, this is my title. Uh, and for them, he was telling us in circles with like Alaska natives, you spend a lot more time on the individual as opposed to like these very quick 20 second intros that we all know very well. And it's important to do that to further understand what motivates that individual, because as this elder said, you can learn a lot more about the person by spending more time on that as opposed to just doing a quick intro of who they are. And then we're going to jump right into why we're here today, mm -hmm. because the why we're here today will be much more informed if, as I said, going back to earlier, you have an understanding of the individuals um, and humanize them first, as opposed to these quick um, stories of the interactions. Um, and then in a larger context with the events, when we were talking about, you know, historical context and, you know, like power imbalances, when we hosted our event in Detroit, you know, the historical context, like we wanted to make sure that we brought people in who truly, who really had some historical context to bring to the conversation. And they also helped us get buy-in from other individuals to join the event by just their sole participation in the event. And this is historical and, context of Detroit itself. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And and this was a, a person whose father, she had done a lot in Detroit before and by having them there, they also gave like more credibility to the space that we had brought people together. And it was very important for also um, increasing buy-in for people to be like, we will engage in this because this is a person who is respected, has power, and it informed the context of the argument. Yeah. So we, it sounds like we take winning off the table, we humanize and seek to understand 
we embrace vulnerability to have the kind of difficult, uncomfortable conversations. We under we pay attention to context, kind of understanding maybe how the cultural norms of you know where of someone's background, like you talked about with the Alaska natives, uh, might inform the way they engage or the way they think. What are the what are the last two um, of these of these principles? Yeah. So. Um... Many things that we've talked about go to the other principle, which is prioritize relationships and listen passionately. So that gets at where I was saying, you know, we should really try to prioritize the individual beyond their views of the, the topic and listen to understand and not reply. And then the final principle is making room to transform and make room to transform and take winning off the table are kind of they're very similar in how we often start with take winning off the table and then we want to end the argument with making room to transform and when we say make room to transform we're not as i said we're not telling people you need to um, be so open and persuaded that you now believe or think just like the person across from you but because of making the room to transform you now have a better understanding of how you can engage with other people in the future and that you have been transformed a little bit. As I said, we're not saying this happens overnight. It can take time. But I think there are ripple effects that can happen when one person has an interaction with someone who is different from them mm -hmm. and in hopes that they also build more relationships within their own lives to bring people who challenge their own worldviews. And as I said, not to make them think differently, but it's important for all of us to live in a society where we can actually engage with people who think differently than us. Otherwise, you have many other problems that we see today. So what do you, th what is, um, do you have a, a kind of example where you've seen this done really well, well, where someone was kind of open to transform and what was, what did that transformation look like? Um, and, and why was it important? Um, I mean, it's hard. I, I don't have like a specific example of, mm -hmm. of like the making room to transform. Um, but I do know that there are, you know, different, partners that have hosted events where they brought together individuals and um, they will share with us how, you know, the, the five principles were good community norms to help individuals kind mm. of connect with one another and move on as they engage in these difficult um, conversations. And I think in one simple way for individuals to engage with others that have opposing views is also a good demonstration of making room to transform. Mm. Because there are many people that would not even take the step um, to do that. Yeah. So I'm imagining all sorts of questions that one would, that one might come up with um, as they kind of listen to our conversation. Um, we already talked about the idea of, you know, what if, what if the position is, is harmful? Um, I, I think I could imagine, especially for people who have close relationships that have been affected by political divisions or or they maybe worry about that. Um, I, I can imagine people, you know, saying, you know, I'm, a, a, you know, maybe afraid of being attacked for what I would want to share or maybe I worry about losing a relationship um, because of having these conversations. You know, how does how would I or should I navigate these conversations to avoid that? You know, how can I progress, you know, grow the relationship by having these conversations and not 
go in the direction of, you know, harming the relationship um, because of having these conversations? What 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 would what could you say that would kind of help navigate, you know, someone navigate, you know, more toward the positive than the negative? What would you say to someone um, to kind of get them beyond these worries and fears that they have, um, and and have them, as you say, embrace vulnerability um, to have mm-hmm. to have these conversations? I mean, the first thing I would say is, um, so for some that, you know, when we have some kind of Q&A and conversations in our like Better Arguments 101 trainings or principles to practice, many people say like it's more important to preserve the the relationship um, instead of doing something that could potentially be very damaging or throw 30 years of a friendship um, out the window. Yeah. But what I would say in terms of embracing vulnerability, um, a person should at least make one attempt. Mm. And I say make one attempt because, you know, if you're really wanting to improve that interaction, we all only have, we can all only control so much. And we cannot 100% change how someone will engage with us, even if we've known them for 20 years. But in those 20 years, if no one, if either of you have not taken one step to try and talk through the differences in an, in an attempt to better your overall relationship, I think that's really a disservice um, to a friendship or a relationship that's not just a friendship um, because that one attempt was never made. And of course, if it doesn't work out over time and that, you know, it's better to the kind of steer clear of conversations like politics and religion and in, in a desire to preserve the relationship that of course that may be that may be good as well but the first attempt um is worth it and you know we're also in our work developing the methods that i talked about so individuals can use them for their own individual kind of reflection inside of how they view topics and view different ways to engage and also creating resources that are free for individuals um, to do these things in pairs and also in group settings as well. Great. Um, do you have any final thoughts on why sh- someone should, um, you know, engage in not less arguments, more arguments, but just better arguments? Yeah. Um, I have, I've, I've read an article um, this, this person wrote a while back and she talked about how she had lived in the same area for like 15 years. And she's now in this kind of bridge building space and, you know, civic engagement and wrote about how much she regretted not once just going over to her neighbor's house and knocking on the door to introduce herself. And we've obviously talked about many things during this, this time together, but like, I would encourage people as potentially scary as it might be, or as uncomfortable as it might be, be more open to taking like one step to go next door and simply introduce yourself to who you are. I think it, it's it's fascinating that we as humans can live in spaces where we are, you know, we open our door and we're three feet away from another door to a whole other life and someone's life. And many people don't even know that person's name, where they're from. And I think that also gets at a lot of the the divisions that we face today too. It's just people are becoming more siloed and retracting more from society beyond 
um, wanting to engage in a protest where we will be where we will be very vocal about our views, but we haven't taken a very small step, which is a lot less overwhelming as opposed to going to a protest, but just going over and knocking on your neighbor's door and introducing yourself. And second, I would just say is when you're engaging in this, don't enter it thinking that it's going to be a bad interaction. It may be one of the best interactions you've had in your life. That's wonderful. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights and tools. Um, and um, yeah, we really appreciate you coming. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott.